Hello everyone and welcome to the Long Range Science Podcast. So now for today's episode, what I wanted to talk about was going to be the next component of the rifle's accuracy system, um, which is going to be the action. So now when I talk about the action, what that is going to be, that's going to be the assembly of the receiver, the bolt, and the fire control or the trigger in this instance. Uh, But before we start diving in, um, I do want to say that I know we've been a little bit slow getting into uh, some of the science and some of the technical stuff of shooting. Um, And I'm hoping to get to that in the next couple episodes. But for these first few, what I've been trying to do is make sure that everyone's starting at a good basis and a good understanding. So now I don't know where all you guys are at in regards to um, gun knowledge and experience. And what I'm trying to do with this is make it accessible for everybody, whether you've been around this for a long time, whether you're an experienced shooter, whether you've been a shooter but you're getting into long range and target shooting, or whether you haven't been a shooter at all and you're looking uh, to get into it. I'm trying to make this available for everybody without losing you guys off the bat by diving into some deep and technical topics. So I know we've been a little bit slow getting going, but I do want to make sure that I cover all the basics, uh, the components, and some of these things just to make sure that we're on the same page and have a good foundation and a good understanding for when we start diving into some of the more technical stuff, like I said, hopefully coming up here in the next couple episodes. Uh, So with that, I appreciate you guys hanging with me. Don't worry, we will get to some of that stuff later, um, but we do have a few things just to kind of finish out to make sure we've all got some good basics and understanding. So as I mentioned this episode, I do want to go ahead and talk about the actions. So now, uh, because of the nature of what we're talking about, this long range and precision shooting, uh, most of the time I'm going to be referring to bolt action rifles. So now there's a whole host of different platforms for center fire rifles. You've got bolt action, you've got semi-automatic, uh, pump action, lever action, single single shot break action, a um, whole host of different platforms. But the overall principles are basically the same. So the firearm needs to be able to lock the cartridge into the chamber to fire it and to cycle it and feed another round reliably. So now even though all these actions are a little bit different in principle, they do all share a few things in common. Um, So with that, as I mentioned, the action is going to be an assembly of the receiver, the bolt, and a few other things. So now uh, the receiver is basically just going to be the component that's basically a housing. So it's usually the component that the barrel's attached to, and that's also a housing for the trigger or fire control unit, and then also for the bolt. So the bolt um, slides back and forth in the receiver. The receiver contains the bolt, and then the bolt is going to, more often than not, lock up into the receiver. So the way that the bolt's going to lock up and index with the lugs is going to be different based on the different styles of actions, but that's usually going to be the case, and that's that's the job of the receiver. So now the job of the bolt is going to be, we mentioned a cycle back and forth, it's going to be used to um, feed the cartridges into the chamber, but then its main job and main purpose is to lock into place to be able to take all the load from when that cartridge is fired, um, to keep that into position, and then also to set the headspace. So now for every center fire uh, rifle that we're going to be talking about, um, going through this topic in these discussions is going to be headspaced off of the bolt's face. So I, if you guys don't 
understand that the headspace aren't familiar with. I've got plenty of other videos on YouTube and my website to go check out. I don't want to take a dive into that on here because it's kind of hard to explain without some of the visuals. But if you guys are interested, you can go um, check those out for sure. And I've got a few things on that. But so those are the main jobs of the bolt. Um, so with center fire rifles, the bolt is also going to have a through hole through it, so the firing pin can go through the bolt, hit the center of the cartridge. Um, it's going to ignite. The bolt is going to hold the cartridge in place into the chamber and hold all those forces and transfer those forces to the receiver um, down through the rifle system, and it's going to be taking all those loads. So now, uh, those are the basics of those two components. And as I mentioned, um, semi-automatic lever action, pump action, bolt action, all operate under the same principles, just with different lockup methods and different methods of feeding the cartridge into the chamber. So now, through this discussion and going forward, the ones I'm going to be focusing on is going to be bolt action. So now, the reason for that is just due to the nature of the way they are made and the way they are set up, they are much more inherently accurate than those other types of systems. So if you look at any uh, precision shooting, bench rest shooting, extreme long range shooting, 99% of the time, what you're going to see is you're going to see bolt-action operated rifles. And now, there's a few reasons for that. And the main one is going to be the tightness of fit-up and the minimal amount of moving components. So now, when you're trying to look at the accuracy of this entire rifle system, we've got to realize that every piece that interfaces with that cartridge, that bullet, that's going to move under recoil each individual component is going to have an impact on the overall accuracy of that rifle system. So the tighter that you can get those lockups and fit-ups, um, the more inherently accurate their rifle system is going to be. And just the way the bolt actions are made, they have a manual close, the lockup is very tight, they can be very tightly controlled, um, they're very strong, very robust, they just tend to lend themselves to be more accurate than other systems. So now I'm not saying that the other systems can't be perfectly accurate and have fantastic results, but when it comes down to it, the most consistently accurate platform you are most likely going to find is going to be the bolt action rifle. Now let's take a look at a few of the things that make this system more inherently accurate than some of the others. And to do that, let's kind of step back and take an overall look at what we're trying to do here. So what we're trying to do is we are trying to send a projectile down the bore at our target and make it hit where we want to. So now to do that, we have to make sure that everything is going to be lined up and everything is going to be consistent. So that means when the cartridge is going to be in the chamber, the chamber has to be in line with the bore. The bore and the chamber have to be centered within the barrel. And then the way they're assembled, the barrel needs to be concentric and lined up with the receiver. And then the bolt needs to be aligned with the receiver as well so that it can be lined up and centered with the bolt. So now with the way everything fits together, you can see why the less components you have, the easier it is to control. Um, just because in a perfect world, everything would fit up evenly, perfectly, and there wouldn't be any variation. But unfortunately, that's not the case. Um, you have manufacturing tolerances and just imperfections in the machining world that don't make it that easy. So the fewer parts, the fewer chances for tolerance stack up, and the fewer potential chances for issues you have. So now, as an engineer, this is going to be one of my um, biggest issues that I have to deal with in Seattle Control. I need to make sure that the design is good and solid so that everything locks up as nice and tightly as possible, but then I also do have to 
account for some of these different variations that are going to happen through the manufacturing process, um, how much is actually going to be allowed, and then how do we go ahead and control them. Because we've got to realize that when we're talking about firearm components, these specific components that all fit together, we're looking at tolerances in the two to three thousandths of an inch in most cases, which is honestly going to be pretty close to the thickness of a human hair. I mean, very, very minute, very tightly controlled tolerances that all matter and all come together to make a precision rifle system. So now let's look at the way they fit up and kind of go over each of these contact points. Now, we know that we need to get the barrel lined up, the barrel centered and concentric, and we've got to get that into the receiver. So the way most of these are going to be fit up is the barrel is going to be threaded, the receiver is going to be threaded, and then the barrel is going to have a shoulder stop on it that's going to mate up to the face of the receiver. So now there's some variations of this, but this is going to be a fairly common one just to go over. So now that barrel is going to be threaded into the receiver. It's going to be um, stopped out on that receiver face, and they're going to be torqued into place. So now those contact faces, they need to be as flat and as parallel as possible. Because if you have a little bit of inconsistency and one side is contacting more than the other, when that cartridge is fired, you are going to end up with some immense stresses and that force is going to go and try to even out. So if you have a high spot that's contacting, it's going to move that part first until it can even out the pressure throughout the system. So all of those things and all those inconsistencies can lead to some movement during the firing process. And that's going to be what's going to be causing some of our accuracy issues and our accuracy and consistencies is going to be part and material movement that's inconsistent that we can't account for. So that's going to be the one of them. Those faces need to be um, cleaned up very flat and very tight with each other. And now the other one is because they're threaded together, the threads need to be lined up and they need to be concentric with each other because the receiver is going to align that and align the bolt so that they fit up nicely and concentrically. So now the reason for that is because if you've got the bolt and the barrel are not totally concentric, when you push the cartridge into the chamber because it's the bolt's job to hold the cartridge in place, if they're not lined up perfectly, if there's some mismatch in between there, um, potentially what you can have is the cartridge sitting a little off-center, it's not going to hit evenly, or it's going to be pushed a little bit crooked or to the side. And same thing as the face, all those high pressures, high stresses are going to move and flow through the system and any high spots are going to have peak stress and peak pressure and it's going to want to even out and bounce through the system, meaning that the material and some of the parts are going to move, which is going to lead to inconsistency. Um, and now with that, the other one that's going to be the main fit up here is going to be the bolts locking up into the receiver. So now looking at a standard Remington 700 style bolt, you have the two bolt lugs that stick out, and when the bolt is closed, those turn and lock into place on a face in the receiver. So now those two faces are going to be taking all of the force from the recoil and transferring it to the receiver. And really, when it comes to some rifle systems, this is one I've seen that's uh, a little bit harder to control and get perfectly um, just through the machining process is going to be that those two lugs, because both of those lugs are contacting the receiver, they need to contact evenly or else that bolt is going to move and flex when it's taking the load from firing the cartridge and trying to transfer it to the receiver. It's going to move and it's going to flex unless those two faces are sitting perfectly flat and perfectly on the receiver.
<clears throat> now, as we mentioned, uh, some of the manufacturing processes just just have some variations and inconsistencies. So there's a few things that people do to optimize and try to clean up some of these issues, and that's going to be what you're going to hear people talk about is blueprinting the action. So now what that is, is that just entails taking the receiver, taking the barrel, and taking the bolt, um, going to a lathe or a machine, dialing everything in, truing everything up, and cutting everything perfectly in line with its mating component, which if you're doing just one part at a time, one gun at a time, much easier to do and much easier to control than mass-produced firearms. Um, And then the other one that's probably a more simple method is going to be lapping your bolt lugs. So now I'm probably going to have to do a video on YouTube about this because it's going to be difficult to talk about, but basically what this is is this is a method of evening out the contact face between the bolt lugs and the receiver. So you take some lapping compound, basically some sandpaper paste, um, just something abrasive. You run that in your bolt, you close the bolt a bunch of times, and you're basically sanding and polishing those two faces flat until you get as much flatness and as much contact as possible. Because the entire goal of this system is to just translate all the forces and all the pressures as evenly and consistently as possible. Because when it comes to this, consistency is accuracy. Consistency is the name of the game. Without consistency, you can't have accuracy and you can't make the corrections and account for what you need to if you're getting sporadic results. It's all about consistency. And that's really what long-range shooting and precision shooting, shooting groups, all that comes down to is consistency. And with all these fit-ups and all these components, you can see why this is more inherently accurate than some of the other systems. Just because each of these components has a chance for tolerance stack up. Each of these components interfaces give some room for error, and any movement in that system is going to cause some issues. So bolt-action rifles have a very solid lockup. They can be dialed in. They can be very tightly controlled. Everything can be fit together very nicely to make for just a very good, solid platform that keeps everything lined up, keeps everything in place, and transfers all those loads consistently and evenly as much as possible. So now, there are different variations and different styles of, of these actions, but when it comes down to it, that's really the end goal for all of these components. So now, with that, with kind of an understanding of that, let's take a look at a few of the different styles they've got just to kind of get an understanding of what else, what's out there. So now... Um, the one that we talked about specifically was going to be the Remington 700 style bolt action rifle. Um, very common, very popular, but there are some variations to it. So let's kind of look at a few things. So one of the things you're going to see and notice that's going to be different between different receivers, different styles and different manufacturers is going to be the bolt throw angle. So now where the Remington 700 is a two lug, meaning it's a, a dual opposing lug, it's got two locking lugs on the bolt that take the recoil load, you're going to end up with a 90-degree bolt throw, meaning that the bolt throw needs to travel 90 degrees to lock and unlock so that it can be cycled. So now the other variations of this are going to be most commonly a 60-degree throw. So now these ones are usually a three-lug bolt instead of a two, and what that allows you to do is get the same contact area and contact surface by rotating the bolt 60 degrees instead of the 90 degrees that you need with the two lug. So now, because it all comes down to stress and pressures, the bolt area, uh, the bolt lug contact area is going to be 
basically the main defining factor of how much surface area that bolt's going to need to take the recoil load from the rifle. So now you can either do that in a two lug system, a three lug system, and then a whole host of other variations. But the reason that people do that differently is because they want to change that bolt throw angle. So now the reason for that can be either speed of operating the bolt, 60 degree throw, you don't have to move the bolt as far. So you can cycle the bolt quicker, which does come into play in some competition things. Um, the other one that does commonly come into play is going to be scope clearance. If you do have to rotate that bolt handle up a little bit further, you do have a chance of kind of crowding your rifle scope with the bolt handle, bolt knob, or things like that. So there are some reasons that people go one way or the other, whichever they prefer. I've always run a two-lug personally, and I've always been a big fan of it. I've never run into any issues, and it's always worked for me. But just so you guys know that that is one of the variations you'll see, and that that is out there. So now I did want to keep this episode a little bit shorter, but the last thing I did want to kind of touch on is going to be kind of triggers and the fire control system of the firing pin, the firing pin spring, and the actual ignition of the cartridge, um, and kind of how these actually come into play into the accuracy. So now the trigger is going to be the user interface between the ignition process that starts all this. So fundamentals and good trigger control are going to be absolutely critical to maintaining accuracy. You will not be able to get accuracy out of any rifle system if you do not have good fundamentals, good control, and make sure that you are consistent yourself. And a good trigger definitely helps in that aspect. Because if you pull the trigger to one side or another when you're trying to pull it, um, you can just move the gun off the position where you want it to be. And that's going to be something we can go over later. I'm going to have some videos on YouTube kind of going over some of the fundamentals and looking at some of these things. They're just going to be much easier um, to look at visually. But let's kind of look at some of the mechanics of these systems and see how they can affect accuracy as well. So now what's going on is when the bolt is cocked, what you're doing is you are compressing the firing pin spring. So that firing pin spring has all the energy um, needed to ignite the case. It's Put, get put under tension by the firing pin and then it's going to be held and maintained in that position by the trigger so that you have basically your stored potential energy so when you pull the trigger the firing pin spring can push the firing pin forward and it can ignite the cartridge so now the time between when the trigger is pulled to ignition of the cartridge is known as lock time so now lock time is one of the things you'll hear people talk about when they're talking about accurizing rifle systems. Um, it's not one of the most critical features, but it is a thing, so we'll just kind of touch on it real quick. Um, a few things do affect lock time. So as I mentioned, it's going to be the time from when the trigger is pulled to when the firing pin strikes and ignites the case. So it's going to be a very minute difference, but you actually can tweak the time it takes. Um... By doing a few things. So it's a combination of the firing pin and the firing pin spring. So either a heavier firing pin spring or a lighter firing pin will allow the firing pin to move faster to ignite the cartridge sooner. So now the theory behind this is that any movement between when the trigger is pulled and the cartridge goes off can influence the accuracy. So the quicker the cartridge can be ignited after the trigger is pulled, uh, the better off and the more consistent you're going to be. So now, it makes sense in theory, but you do have a few trade-offs here. Um, a heavier firing pin spring is going to mean heavier bolt lift and then a few other trade-offs like that. But that, that's kind of the gist of what that is. Not something I'm going to touch on too heavy. 
But it is a thing, and it is a thing that is talked about. So now we did talk about how the firing pin spring is going to be compressed so that it's putting tension on the firing pin. When that's cycled, that force all needs to be transferred to the trigger so that the trigger can hold the firing pin in place and drop it when you want to. So now what you're going to have is on the firing pin, you are going to have a contact face that's going to contact the sear of the trigger. So now the sear is going to be a face of the trigger that contacts a point on the firing pin that holds it in place. So now different trigger manufacturers have different methods of doing this, but basically what's going to happen is when you're pulling that trigger, you are moving it and you're moving a lever that's going to go through a system of however they've designed their trigger and it's going to drop the sear out of the way and allow the firing pin spring and the firing pin to fall and ignite the cartridge. So depending on the trigger manufacturer, like I said, they've got different ways of doing it, but a few of the things that you do want to look for in a good trigger to help improve the accuracy is it going to be um, trigger pull weight and then also how clean the trigger is. Now, pull weight's an easily measured thing. It's how many pounds of force it takes to actually pull the trigger once it's under tension from the firing pin. So for competition, personally, I am running my triggers right now at about one pound. I did try to go lighter than that, but it was just a little too touchy, and I, I feel a little better going to a pound. But by getting a light trigger pull, I'm not having to force and strain as many muscles when I pull the trigger. It gives me less chance to kind of twist or torque my wrist when I'm trying to pull the trigger. So for competition, I usually run it fairly light, but when it comes to hunting situations where you're out and have a chance of bumping the trigger uh, more easily, um, I usually run around three pounds is kind of considered the lightest, reasonably safe trigger pull weight for hunting situations. So trigger pull is going to be a big one, and then how clean the trigger is is going to be another one. So now I'm going to be honest, getting into this competition in long range shooting, I have become an absolute trigger snob. And it is one of the biggest things I look for in my rifle because the feel of that trigger uh, is going to be kind of an indicator of how the entire rifle feels to me. So if I get a spongy trigger, a trigger that's just not clean, it just ruins the whole thing for me, um, I become a complete snob. So now what you're looking for in a trigger break is you want to put pressure on the trigger and when it's getting ready to drop the sear, you don't want to have any movement or what's known as creep at all. Because we've got to remember the system we're looking at here, you've got a few of the parts are interfacing. They've got to lock in and they've got to slide and move past each other when you're pulling the trigger to be able to work the mechanism and the mechanics in there. So now you end up with a trigger that's kind of gritty or one that's spongy that has creep, like I mentioned, um, what you're doing is you have those contact faces are going to be sliding against each other, and you're going to kind of get a little bit of movement, and then it's going to stop. A little movement, and it's going to stop. It's not going to be one clean, smooth movement. So that is one of the things I definitely look for. Um, and then the other one is going to be how much travel the trigger has, and that's for how far you have to pull it back uh, before it will let go and drop the firing pin so now even if it is completely smooth if you're having to pull that trigger back a significant amount all of that movement is just causing chances for shooter error so you want it to basically you put a little bit of pressure on the trigger and you don't want to feel any movement in that trigger at all and then it breaks so those are a few of the things you want to look at that are just going to help 
exponentially with your fundamentals, a good clean trigger is going to make a good trigger pull just that much easier, that much easier to get the mechanics and the trigger going so that you can drop the firing pin and do all of that without inducing as much shooter influence as possible. Because now we're going through this and we've got to remember that these tolerances are all very tightly controlled. We've talked about kind of some of the science, the mechanics, the manufacturing of these. But really, nine times out of ten, or probably even more than that, what's going to be the biggest influencer on the accuracy of a rifle is going to be the shooter. Because we can dial in all these tolerances, all these precisions, we can get a load worked up that's going to leave as consistently and evenly as possible through that rifle. But really what it's going to come down to is the shooter's fundamentals, are they making sure that they are firing that rifle the exact same time, the exact same way, every time that trigger's pulled without pulling the gun to the side, without flinching, without torquing your wrist due to trigger pull. The shooter is going to be really the last great variable when it comes to getting an accurate rifle system. So even though we're going to go through and talk about all these things that improve accuracy and the science and fundamentals of it, that is the biggest one that's going to make the biggest difference in your overall accuracy is getting out practice, getting good fundamentals, and then you can eliminate yourself as the main cause of inconsistency. And then once you've done that, then you can work on dialing all the components of your rifle in. Because you cannot work in the consistency of the rifle if you're fighting the inconsistency of the shooter. Okay, and then with that, I think we're going to end this episode. I appreciate everybody for tuning in. Like I said, we've maybe got one or two more of these where we kind of cover some of the basic components and then we'll start getting into some of the deeper dives and some of the science and some of the technicalities. But I appreciate y'all being here. Um, like I said, leave a comment if you guys have any requests or recommendations, but I appreciate you being here. Thanks, everybody, and we'll see you next time.